This is a Federal News Network podcast. Modernizing mission applications sometimes means double-checking. They're coming up with the right answers. That's what the Army is doing as it moves to a new phase in its personnel and pay system. Just one of the stories in this week's DOD Reporter's Notebook. Joining me for the roundup, Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Scott Mossioni. And Scott, we'll start with you. The Army is moving to another iteration of its pay and performance and tracking system, but they're worried that people will actually get the right pay? <laughs> yeah, something like that. What they're really worried about is that they won't have the correct data for people. Uh, what they're doing is bringing on a million people, million soldiers, into their new IPSA, which is the Integrated Personnel and Pay System, Army. And what IPSA does is it consolidates payroll functions and planning and lots of other different sorts of, of workforce needs all into one online system that uh, soldiers can access and, and change sorts of things. But what they've learned over the time that they have been working on this, which has been multiple years, is that the data isn't always correct. And when it's not correct, it can affect things like payroll, taxes, and all that sort of stuff. What soldiers need to do is go to their personnel office in their local units and make sure that all of their information is correct. That could be the number of children you have, your uh, home address, your pay, everything else that has to do with that sort of information that is, is basic that the Army needs to make sure that you're getting the right kind of pay and benefits. A little bit of a not fun task for soldiers to do, but uh, something that's really important that they need to do by this December to make sure that their pay is correct when they move to this new system. And once they're in the new system, can they be assured that the information that goes with them will always remain accurate thereafter? That's the hope. So what they're really hoping is that soldiers will be able to go into this system and actually change things that previously weren't being able to be changed or they couldn't even look at without going to their office. So they'll be able to go in much like private industry. You can kind of go in, change your address whenever you need to, or you know, put in the number of hours you worked and see where things are on people's desks. Soldiers right now can't do that. This is hopefully going to be able to do that for them. And you know, in the past, we've already seen the National Guard has, has switched over to this, and it's worked pretty well so far. And But like they said, the data wasn't always clean, and that was the biggest issue with it. All right, so clean your own data. And Jared, no matter what the military does, it gets into trouble when it comes to housing for the troops and the vendors that it has to deal with. What's the latest? So the latest here is a new review by the Government Accountability Office, which found that because of some quirks, let's call them quirks, in the way that Congress uh, drafted some reimbursement rates for these housing providers, some are making a little bit of a windfall and some are getting short change. So this all goes back to the 2015 timeframe when uh, Congress agreed to a DOD proposal that would that created some what they call cost shares for military members who receive basic allowances for housing, basically requiring them to pay 5% of their housing costs. The way those housing, th- those housing cuts were structured is they were done by a fixed dollar amount so that regardless of whether you're living in, the, in Silicon Valley where housing rates are extremely high or whether you're living in Arkansas where they're very low, everybody is contributing the same dollar amount for their, their own housing. The military knew at the time this was going to be a big problem or potentially big problem for housing providers because their revenue is based completely on those local housing rates. And if those are cut by 5%, that's a 5% cut in the revenue that they built into their long-term plans because these are extremely long-term agreements with the military. Congress's fix to that was to tell the, the military services to make them whole by just giving them direct payments to make up that 5%. 
However, the way Congress created those 5% reimbursement rates was based on local housing rates, not those fixed rates that I talked about just a minute earlier. So what that means is in some locations, housing projects are being overcompensated. In other locations, they're being undercompensated. So what GAO found is that 32 housing projects got more money than was actually needed to offset those cuts. Six of them were by a million dollars or more. 48 projects got less money than they needed to offset those cuts. And again, six were short changed by a million dollars or more. So Congress is really the only entity that can fix this. DOD is following the letter of the law here, whether it makes sense or not. And those underfunded housing developments then could put the DOD at risk, I guess, of having them deteriorate if the landlord simply can't invest in them properly. Yeah, and there, there, there's some question as to whether or not this 5% reduction may have played at least a minor role in some of the housing condition issues that we've seen across all of the military services over the past several years. I don't think that's really ever been shown definitively, nor, nor have all of the housing companies really claimed or intimated that, but it is certainly a loss in revenue. And I should say, Congress did direct that half of that 5% reimbursement amount goes specifically toward housing projects that have been underinvested in over the years. So it, it may start to make a little trickle of a difference here soon. All right. And Scott, let's go back to you on the Air Force is offering a slew of educational development programs for the civilians coming up, not this year, but next year. That's right. They're starting a new application process for 2022 cycle, and that will have more than 30 educational development programs for civilians. And what this does is it allows civilians in the Air Force and in the Space Force to really enrich their resumes and their jobs by taking leadership courses, academic pursuits, and fellowships, things like that. So these courses run from anything that you could take at the National Defense University to something like a leadership course that would actually be within the military and uh, you know, you, you would take courses with uniformed officers and enlisted. The courses are broken into four subject areas. They're developmental education, academic fellowships, leadership seminars, and experiential assignments. Those assignments are more of the on-the-job type development, and they, um, you know, kind of work on enterprise leadership perspective. Uh, the intent's the same, though. You know, they're trying to get the right person to do develop the right sort of competencies that they need for the mission. Uh, but, you know, this would be a very competitive process. So anyone that's interested in doing it has until February 26th to apply for the program and to, uh, you know, get their uh, applications in. And Scott, while we have you on the Air Force, the Space Acquisition Office has some changes ahead. Tell us what those are. Yeah, if you remember a while back, the really the GAO put out a report saying that space acquisition was very decentralized. There wasn't clear leadership. And in response, Congress asked the Air Force to, to really have a point person on space. Now, since then, we've seen the Space Force created, we've seen the Space Development Agency created, and all those sorts of things. That person would be in charge of the Space Development Agency, the Rapid Capabilities Office, and all that sort of stuff. However, the Air Force has until 2022 to decide who this point person is going to be. That could be someone within the Space Force, within the Air Force, or within DOD as a whole. Now, meanwhile, the Air Force, in, in possibly a preparation for this, has changed its Space Capability Office to have three directorates. Uh, you know, one of those is going to be on acquisition for architecture and for policy and integration. So they're thinking that it's most likely that this person that is in charge of space acquisition right now is going to be that person with that executive authority that will be given in 2022. Right now, it's vested within the Secretary of the Air Force. But we have yet to see that. And there's a 
study due to Congress fairly soon that will kind of enumerate sort of some, some of the issues with this. And we know you'll be on top of that study. Federal News Network, Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu. Check out all of the reporting at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.